Hi, I'm Leah Potter. And I'm Meredith Roden, and we're two news editors at the GW Hatchet. This is the Hatchet's weekly podcast, Getting to the Bottom of It, covering the happenings around Foggy Bottom and GW's campus. I'm here with Kelly Hooper, one of our staff writers, who's here to talk about community building initiatives on different student association candidate platforms. Thanks for coming on, Kelly. Thanks for having me. All of the candidates for both essay president and executive vice president have some sort of community building initiative. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so like you said, every candidate running this year for the top spots in the essay have community on their platforms, but it's manifested in different ways across each platform. So they each identify a lack of community at GW, and they all have different ideas to address that lack of community that they're identifying. For example, Nicole Sanamo, who is running for essay president, she plans to address community if she's elected by implementing first-year programming um, for freshman students, where they could attend various workshops on topics like budgeting and diversity, and then build up points from attending those workshops to then attend free events at the end of the semester to sort of foster relationships between uh, the freshman class. And then she also said she would turn a room on the fourth floor of the Marvin Center into a student living room, which would feature things like a TV and board games for students to hang out in a non-academic setting. Another candidate for president, S.J. Matthews, who's the current president of the Residence Hall Association, said she would um, push officials to grant TAP access to give students access to all residence halls so students could interact with one another across buildings and not have to ask their friends to tap them into buildings. Uh, Senator Amy Martin, who is running for SA Executive Vice President, said she would advocate for more inclusive building names, um, like renaming the Marvin Center, who's named after Cloyd Heck Marvin, who was known for segregationist policies. Uh, Shantorian Underwood, who is running for president of the SA said she would want to create a retreat in the summer months for students of color for them to attend various workshops and interact with one another and get to know each other before the school year starts. Quentin McHose, who is a candidate for SA executive vice president, said if he's elected he would want to host listening sessions with student organizations across campus to hear what they think the reason is that GW is lacking community. He said he would want to specifically talk to orgs that represent students of color or first-generation students to hear their concerns and ideas for how he can work to build community at GW. And with all of the candidates including this type of initiative in their platforms, what specifically are they saying is lacking with GW's community presence? In talking with candidates, they said that the main reason that they are including community in their platforms was because they've identified a lack of community on campus and that is due to a number of reasons, one of them being that GW is located on an urban campus, not a closed campus, where they said community might be a little bit easier to foster. Another reason they said they are addressing community is because in past elections, other issues might have taken the forefront, like diversity and affordability, and now that those issues have been addressed, they're still ongoing, but they are being addressed by 
current representation community is something that they said hasn't been as fully addressed and it's something that students are wanting to see addressed which is why they've all included it on their platforms. They also said they are addressing community in their platforms because GW has strong communities and facets so a lot of student organizations have strong communities but students are saying that GW is lacking one strong central community that they feel they want to be a part of. Besides candidates for EVP and essay president, are candidates for other essay positions also focusing on community engagement? And speaking with several candidates running for essay senate, they said they are also including community building tactics in their platforms. One example is Keith Neji, who is a freshman running for an undergraduate senate seat in the Columbian College of Arts and Sciences. He said he would advocate for the VEX to run on a five-minute schedule at night. It currently runs uh, every 15 minutes between 9 p.m. and 1 a.m. and every 30 minutes between 1 and 7 a.m. during the weekdays. So he would want to make it a shorter window for when it departs so students living on the Vern can feel less isolated from Foggy Bottom students and more easily get to their student organization meetings that might be going late at night. Well, thanks for coming on, Kelly, and telling us more about the candidates' platforms. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm here with one of our staff writers, Jared Gans, who's here to talk about an uptick in people running for seats in the Columbian College of Arts and Sciences. Thanks for coming on, Jared. Good to be here. Tell me, how many more people are running for these seats compared to last year? Last year, there were six candidates running for the six CCASU seats on the SA, but now there are 11, so that is almost double. And are these candidates predominantly upperclassmen, or what year are they? Out of the 11 candidates running, 10 of them are freshmen. The only non-freshman candidate is Andre Gonzalez, who is also the only current CCAS senator running for re-election, and he is a junior. And why do people think that there are so many more candidates for these positions this year as opposed to last? One of the reasons that several candidates mentioned is that they think the freshman class has really become frustrated with a number of problems that they see at the university. A common platform point on most candidates' platforms is they want to fix Colombian advising issues, and they really want to get involved in student government and fix the problems that they have been seeing for a year now. And what are some examples of some of the problems that freshman candidates have been seeing on campus? Other than improving the Columbian advising system, candidates talked about how they want to improve the clicker system at the university, standardizing them across all classes. They talked about improving campus community for commuter students and possibly creating common lounge rooms for them to bond and form community. They also discussed holding the administration more accountable for the way they are choosing to spend the university's funds, such as President LeBlanc's inauguration ceremony, which was $500,000. With so many candidates for this position, how are students aiming to stand? The candidates recognize that this year will be significantly more difficult for them to set themselves apart from their opponents than last year. They discussed running active social media campaigns, making sure all their platforms have their goals and what they want to accomplish as an essay senator. They also discussed going beyond social media campaign and sitting down and talking with students about what the problems are and what they want to see accomplished and making sure students know they 
want to get a student perspective on what the issues are and what the best way is to solve them. Well, thanks for coming on, Jared, and giving us an overview of the candidates running for CCAS. Thanks for having me. I'm here with Eileen Pang, our Metro editor, who's here to talk about a recent departure in the university's police department. Thanks for coming on, Eileen. Thanks for having me. Daryl Darnell recently departed from GWPD. An interim chief of police is currently taking his place, but the university has been unclear about how long he'll be gone and whether his departure is permanent or not. Did the university give us any idea as to why Darnell left? No, they haven't. And Darnell's departure is one of many in recent years. Yeah, so in early 2018, GWPD's assistant police chief and police chief resigned, um, and an interim took their place before Daryl Darnell was assigned to lead GWPD in April of 2018. Darnell at that time was the senior associate vice president for safety and security at GW, and they decided to extend his position to include leading GWPD under the title superintendent of police. Do we know if Darnell left on his own accord or if he was fired? No, we don't, but the Division for Safety and Security's website currently still says that he is in his position as superintendent of police and as the senior associate vice president. And what did other GWPD members say about Darnell's departure? So we spoke to two GWPD officers um, who were talking about officers' morale as well as the circumstances of his departure. Um, They said that GWPD hasn't provided them any additional information about why Darnell left, but they did say that the university informed them that Darnell would be on administrative leave for about two weeks, but currently this is the third week that Darnell has been gone. A GWPD officer also said that the majority of the department doesn't believe that Darnell will be returning. A GWPD officer said the department is currently under review by the International Association of Campus Law Enforcement Administrators, which will be evaluating whether the department should remain accredited. GWPD officers also said the department has expressed some concerns about Darnell, including the fact that Darnell doesn't allow GWPD officers to arrest GW students, faculty, or staff. An officer also said that Mary Paradis, who is taking over the department as interim chief of police, is well respected in the department. Well, thanks for coming on, Eilina, and be sure to keep us updated about the status of this department. Thank you. So I'm here with our sports editor, Barbara Alberts, to talk about some changes in the leadership on the men's basketball team. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. It has been a little bit over a week now since men's basketball head coach Maurice Joseph was let go from his job. He was fired one day after the men's basketball team was eliminated from the Atlantic 10 Championship in New York. Joseph, along with his assistant coaches, um, assistant coach Greg Paulus, assistant coach Hodge Turner, and assistant coach Chris Holm were also let go from their positions. So the athletic department really did kind of clear house with this, um, you know, coaching change. And Tanya Vogel said in the press release that the reason behind the decision was because the men's basketball team was not reaching its fullest potential on the court. So can you kind of go into what she means by that? What kind of record has the team had that has led to this decision? Yeah, absolutely. To take a little bit of a step back, Joseph came into the position 
amid a lot of turmoil in the men's basketball program. Mike Lonergan had just been fired from his position um, amid allegations of verbal and emotional abuse. Joseph was tabbed as an interim head coach that season. That was the 2016-17 season. So that first year, he, um, he was just interim head coach. His first season, he led the team to a 20-win record, but was really never able to kind of keep up that consistent level in the following two seasons. The team did deal with a lot of people transferring out of the program, but there are also some key pieces who just graduated, um, you know, Yuta Watanabe being one of them. And so this season was the first season where it was really taking a look at the majority of the players being recruits that Mojo picked up as head coach and it was really it was a rough year for them to be frank the team only picked up nine wins this season which includes their one win in the A-10 tournament that ties the team for the lowest amount of wins in a season since the 2007-2008 season so this was definitely a um the lowest point that they've had in more than a decade. The team really did struggle with lack of size underneath the post. They were putting up the least amount of points out of any team in the A-10. As Joseph had put it in a press conference, they lacked depth in terms of scoring, like who could be a consistent scorer. And they also really did struggle with having somebody could play on the post and pick up points for them there while also getting rebounds and things like that. So they did have a little bit of a uh, a lot of holes, I guess, in their in their lineup and just in their abilities and what they were able to actually execute on the court. So so that was like the numbers of it. But what was he like as a coach, like on the sidelines playing the game? It's fair to say that even if you've only spent one minute watching the men's basketball team play, that Mojo was like full on invested in what was going on obviously every coach is but Mojo did have a tendency to really wear his emotions on his sleeve he you know had this tendency where you know he would if you know someone made an un committed like an unforced turnover or there was just a mistake on the court you know he had this tendency to just kind of stand on the sideline hands down by his side just stare at his team and you know I was most of the time like at least 40 feet away from him but you know you can tell on his face you could just tell him he was just telling his team like you can do better and you expected them to do better um you know if the game was in crunch time more often than not he would be like crouched at half court like watching his team and like laser focused um he was definitely a huge presence on the sideline obviously as a coach but you know he really kind of did lead by example when it came to being passionate about the the sport and being supportive of the team but I guess Tanya Vogel said you know it wasn't translating to wins it wasn't translating to consistently good basketball. What did some of the players who you spoke with say about their coach? Bo Ziegler was a player that we spoke to he uh, played one year at GW um, last season as a transfer student and he said that the one thing that Joseph brought to the program most was passion. You know, he felt that the team was learning something new every day in practice and things like that. What has the athletic department said in response to these changes and the questions you asked? I reached out to um, Joseph on multiple occasions, just trying to reach out for this story and for the, you know, just to talk to him about it. The athletic department declined to facilitate interviews with student athletes about the coaching changes and Tanya Vogel also declined interviews with the Hatchet twice. What's the future now for men's basketball? The athletic department has already hired a new men's basketball head coach. His name is uh, Jamie and Christian, and he was the men's basketball head coach at Siena 
Christian spent one season at Siena as the men's basketball head coach, um, but prior to that he had spent six seasons at Mount St. Mary's also as the head coach. The athletic department has, like I said, already really taken steps forward in trying to get new leadership in there. Um, it's unconfirmed who the next assistant coaches will be, but like I said, that the athletic department is already moving on. Well, thank you for talking to me about the basketball team today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. That's all for this week. Thanks for joining us on Getting to the Bottom of It. Getting to the Bottom of It is hosted by news editors Meredith Roughton and Leah Potter and features culture editor Lindsay Pollan. This podcast is produced by managing editor Matt Cullen and video editor Ariana Dunham. Music is produced by Olk Studio. Special thanks to Barbara Alberts, Jared Gans, Kelly Hooper, and Eilina Peng for joining us. See you next week.